When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who think true grit starts at 220. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk number 389 for June 12th, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about is SketchUp for sissies? That's a great question, isn't it? It says a lot about the person who asked it. Uh, <laughs> moving a shop, blending 3D printing and fine woodworking, and do Matt and Mark feel inferior because they don't mess with electronics like Bob Claggett does? <laughs> All that and a bunch more good stuff. Obviously, today's show is going to be very interesting. Uh, but before we get into it, let's thank some individuals who helped us out over at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash woodtalk if you want to help out too and have your name mentioned at the top of the show. Karel Korv, Mike Bomer, uh, Roberto Barrera, Joseph Van Deventer, Brian Stainfield, and Alan Barnes. So thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate your support. And if you want to help out too, again, that's patreon.com slash woodtalk. And on today's show, we have a special guest because Shannon is busy doing some crap that's apparently more important than uh, than me and Matt here. And we brought in not just uh, someone to substitute, but a pretty heavy hitter that, frankly, once he's gone, we're going to be like, oh, Shannon. Uh, it's like, <laughs> once you have a taste of like a really good beer and then you go back to Bud Light and you're like, what was I drinking? Um, Shannon's the Bud Light of Little Sh- Shannon's our Bud Light. <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> Anyway, it is Bob Claggett from I Like oh. to Make Stuff and Making It, and uh, glad to have you here, Bob. Thanks for filling in. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. yeah, we put you to work, too. This this is not an interview show. This is like, you're doing what you yeah. normally do for less money, and uh, <laughs> you know, probably even a smaller audience, so there you go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, it, I'm, I'm less qualified to be here than I am on my own show, so how about that? <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so let's get into what's on the bench. We'll throw it to Bob. He's the guest uh, on the show. Let him go first. What are you working on these days? Working on a couple of things. I'm about to start moving, so that's mm. been like I'm, I'm in full sprint to try to get some stuff done to get it out of the way uh, before I pack everything up. Yeah. So I'm sure you know how that is. So, uh-huh. <laughs> But um, I just made a bathroom light like a just a simple wood fixture to put on the wall to kind of clean up the bathroom before we leave the house. 
And then I'm making an auto creeper um, just to slide underneath the car. So nobody seems to know the word creeper in that context. You know what's funny? I'm like, I don't, I was about to ask you, what the heck is that? I'm not a car guy. So yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I wouldn't have known the term. I just had to look it up. But it's like, you know, when mechanics go underneath the car, they lay on a really low rolling cart. Yeah. So that they can get as low to the ground. And they call it a mechanics creeper or an auto creeper. That makes sense. So, yeah. So I'm going to play with that a little bit in the video. Put some like Minecraft creepers in there and stuff like that. Oh, that's what. Yeah. Either half of the audience thinks it's Minecraft or they think it's just weirdos. So (laughs) (laughs) guys hanging outside, uh, you know, kids schools and things like that. Yeah. From the context context of stuff you make auto and auto creeper to me sounds like automatic creeper. And so like automotive. Oh, so I was thinking like, Hmm. You just sit on it and it just rolls underneath the car. Yeah. I may have time to add that. (laughs) You should (laughs) get a little motor on there. I actually thought yeah. Auto Creeper was one of uh, Matt's signature wrestling moves in high school. <laughs> no? Okay. Maybe not. But that sounds cool, man. Uh, that's the thing I love about Bob's work, if you guys aren't familiar at this point. Uh, he, get, he gets his hands into a lot of different things, and we'll touch on that. Like we mentioned at the top of the show, that is one of the questions that came in, um, You know, re- referring to how many things Bob sort of gets his hands into and incorporates into his projects, uh, which is really, really cool stuff. Uh, for me, I am batching out some chair parts still, uh, but today it's always a great day when I could fire up the multi-router. It's just one of those tools that I knew one day I would have because I saw David Marks use it and it doesn't matter that like other things have come out since then that might be better <laughs> you know, or might be even cheaper. It doesn't matter. That was a goal. I eventually reached it and bought it and I think I've used it like four times because I don't like to pull it out too much on the show. But this is specifically for the guild. We're showing how I would batch this out. Like if I had to get these six chairs done for a client in a certain amount of time without decreasing my quality, what would I do? And that's what I'm using the multi-router for. So um, like the amount of time it took me to set up and do two legs before for the prototype, uh, I probably in a fraction of the time, maybe 5% of that time, uh, got like 10 of them done. Well, five chairs two pairs of legs each. So 10 total legs in that time. And they're all dead on perfect. They're all exactly what they need to be the exact same depth. It's just the repeatability on that thing is insane. So always a good day when the multi-router comes out. Matt, why don't you I'm have not one? Fam- I'm not familiar with that tool and I'm looking at it now. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, and I mentioned it assuming people do know. So I'm glad you, you mentioned something. It's basically a, a flat plate. You put your mount your work on top of it, and the, it just basically moves in three axes. And you've got a router mounted sideways. If anyone has heard of or seen, which you might be more familiar with, is the Panther router. All right, so similar concept in the positioning of the work with relation to the the tool itself. But this, I think, is a little bit simpler in terms of just moving on these linear bearings. And the great thing about it is, if you've got like the whole system just really maxed out and you've got the pneumatic clamps in place. It's just a dream. Like one of the, one of the things with any system that you clamp down, people don't realize there's a little bit of variability with how you clamp a workpiece down. So if you aren't applying consistent pressure each and every time, you could very well actually move the part slightly. So these little pneumatic clamps, man, you just turn the thing, they go and hold it down. Same pressure every time. It's like, it's one of the most fun tools that I've ever used. I just don't get to use it that often, unfortunately. Yeah. Hmm. So that's it for me, Matt. What do you got going on? Well, let me check the notes. Um, <laughs> what, did I, what did I write there? <laughs> what did I write like 10 minutes ago? Oh, wrote, yes. wrote Bob a huge check. Oh, that's cool. Oh, hey, there you go. Well, that. we got to do something to get physically huge. It was oh. not numerically huge. Yeah. Well, it's actually Matt donating his portion of the Patreon funds this month. So 
Oh, oh, good. Yeah, you'll be <laughs> swimming, so nice. in, Bob. swimming, swimming right. in nickels. <laughs> Time to go to the penny slots, baby. <laughs> so I finished up a uh, porch uh, bed swing thing. So kind of interestingly, like when I when I transitioned to doing this stuff for a living and doing content full time, one of the things that like drove me towards that uh realm was the fact that i could make whatever i wanted and i wasn't making commission work doing work for other people well okay i'm gonna throw my wife under the bus here but i feel justified because you're so nice to her last week <laughs> okay that's a good idea though let's let's it's still a bad idea it's still a bad idea. <laughs> i don't know i like it doesn't listen to the show i like one of you listeners tell her to don't do it <laughs> i will not share these stories ever again if you do it don't ruin this for me okay okay <laughs> So we were at a wedding about 18 months ago, and we um, we met this couple there, and they were talking about how they wanted this like bed bed swing thing for their porch. And Lindsay was like, "You should just do it. It'll take like well like a weekend to make it, and uh, you know you can make it a few bucks." So I'm like, "Yeah," I was like, "Yeah," I was kind of real back and forth. And they're like, "We'll give you a deposit right now on the spot for the materials." I'm like, okay, fine, mm. maybe I'll think about it. So that was that was November of 2015. And like a year went by and it's like another like six months. And now it's like June, almost over a year and a half later. I'm like, oh, crap, I got to make this thing still. <laughs> and the problem I have with it is it could have taken me just a weekend. But I don't make weekend projects. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole point is like that's not something I want to make. I want to make something sweet that look cool, that uses really nice materials, blah, 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 blah. So the whole time that I was procrastinating on this is because I have zero interest in doing it because I knew it wasn't something I was interested in. And I had to find that like design or that element. I, I had to get excited about it. Yeah. So I finally got excited. I got excited about it and also excited about like, holy crap, it's been this long already. These people are going to kill me. So <laughs> that's, that's called guilt. That's not excitement. <laughs> so wait, right, they weren't guilt. bugging you or anything like, hey, we oh, gave yeah. you some money. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. I was like, yeah, it was it's been. A, yeah. Yes. They've been bugging me for a while. And um, I was doing free at this point. Like, I got the material deposit. That's fine. I'm just going to give it to them. I don't care anymore. It's going to be a cool piece of content for my channel. That's what I care about. Mm-hmm. So at least I got it into it finally. But I don't do commission work. <laughs> so uh, I'm curious. Is is the fact that it's content the thing that made it worthwhile that got you excited? Or is there some design element? Uh, f- so when they... When they wanted me to do it, they're like, I, they, they, they basically gave me free reign to the whole design of it. And I didn't, every single time I went, I didn't do a whole lot. I didn't jump into a whole lot, but I went to go look on the internet and kind of come up with some design ideas. I didn't find anything I really liked and I didn't really get, I just didn't get excited by anything I saw and I couldn't come up with anything decent. And then like, you know, like you said, the guilt finally hit and that motivated me to actually get it done. So I came up with a design that I have now, which I'm pretty happy with. It's a pretty unique design. It has some interesting elements that I think will be interesting to see um, how I accomplished some of that, you know, the angled drone with the curves in there and how the whole thing is constructed. I think it's going to be a cool piece of content for someone to watch. And the other thing I did with it too was even though I made it out of, I made it out of slabs. I cut up a bunch of slabs into dimensional material, but I made it out of dimensional material. So someone could make it out of cedar two by sixes and two by fours if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And it's all, I use a domino for the first time for real, which is pretty cool. And speaking of like, when did we talk about the domino mark? It was like two weeks ago, three yeah, weeks I ago. Think so. We're talking about uh, buying tools too soon, I think. So that thing bit me in the butt so many times. <laughs> really? I think, 
Yeah, because the problem with the domino is you get too comfortable with it. Or at least for me, cause I've never used it. I got too comfortable with it. I was plunging dominoes. Like it was when I was doing the, the ones where you plunge in the face of the workpiece. Yeah. Three times in the wrong spot. <laughs> Ooh. So, now, how'd you do it? Was it just mis- mismarked the location or you didn't line it up properly? I didn't, I didn't think about some of the offsets. So I wanted the, so that was when the, when the rail attaches to the, to the long side supporting rails. Mm-hmm. So the position of that rail along that long one is, was like, it was supposed to be dictated by like how far I wanted it from the end of the workpiece. So I was like, okay, I'll set up a fence and I'll put the domino on there. The fence was too short. Then it was too long. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I was like, I haven't had that happen to me in a long time where I'm like, I am really pissed off right now. And I need I to leave the shop. I need to get out of here. <laughs> so that was, that was a bad day, but I recovered. Um, the nice thing about that project is it doesn't really matter what the offsets on the ends really are. I mean, it's really just aesthetics. As long as the mattress still fits in there, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. So I'll say this to all of you fantastic people who listen to this. You'll probably only people will know this. It is longer on one end than on the other by about an inch and a half. Oh my goodness. I know. I know. Throw it away, man. It's not worth it. Uh, well, good thing oh, you're man. not charging them for it. <laughs> Sounds like a piece of crap. But I mean, that, that's the thing with the domino is, you know, we, we were talking about how um, the context was basically if you are going to do like the chair that I'm building, but you want to use the domino, that if you've got that domino, you should be able to translate the joinery into domino joinery. And there are things that are very domino specific that you have to think about to make sure that that mortise lands exactly where you need it to land. And it's, it's a little bit different than say adjusting a router table or a handheld router to do that job. So it's definitely not a brainless activity. Definitely. I think a lot of it came down to when I'm building, like if I was going to do it with like an integral Morse and 10 or like through 10 there or something like that, I would have laid it out. Like I've been like, Here's the line for the side of the mortise. Here's the top of the mortise. Here's the other side. Here's the squiggles. This is the waist. And then when I line up the the router or whatever I used to cut it, it's literally there. I can see this in between the lines. We're good to go. Yeah. With this, I was like, oh, no problem. I'll just make, I'll make myself a little fence thing that's long enough that gives me the offset and just start plunging away. Yeah. But... <laughs> sometimes it just doesn't work out that way <laughs> uh, all right i learned i guess that's all right cool uh bob i was curious so you do i mean you you really do get into a lot of different things and have you done much in the way of traditional you know quote unquote traditional woodworking joinery in your work and if not do you sort of aspire to or is it just there's really no reason to for for the kind of stuff that you're building i really haven't and that comes up a lot because people, you know, people bring it up. Well, why don't you do it this way? Or why don't you do this? And I've kind of learned over the years that like, I'm more interested in, uh, well, I can't say this with certainty cause I kind of go back and forth, on it, but <laughs> yeah. generally I'm more interested in the end product than the process to get there. And so a lot of the, the more complex joinery seems to get in my way, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just going to make it take longer for me to get to that end thing. Yeah. And so I think, and I've also recognized a whole lot of impatience in myself. So <laughs> I don't have the patience for adding in a, a mechanic like that that makes it take longer. And I also don't have the patience for the precision that's necessary for a lot of that stuff. Right. You know, like when I think about doing dovetails the way that you guys do them, that I'm just like, oh, I could do so many other things in that same <laughs> amount of time. That one <laughs> set of dovetails <laughs> is its own like microcosm of a project. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and for my personality type that just gets in the way, you know, so, but at the same time, like I said, I waffle on this on the other, other end of it. It's something that I have no experience with. Mm -hmm. And 
a lot of the fine woodworking stuff um, would do me a lot of good to know, both from like a practice and patient standpoint, but also just from a practical like making things. Yeah. So it is something I kind of aspire to, but it's not real high on the priority list. <laughs> yeah, I can totally relate to the getting in the way thing. I mean, this is why Matt and I often, you know, sort of lament together about our inability to produce things fast enough to keep up <laughs> with the content production that we'd like to be able to do. But if we want to keep the quality level of the actual, you know, furniture that we're making, we just cannot physically make it happen that fast. It definitely right. slows you down. It's a, it's a ball and chain. Yeah, for sure. All I right. love it. It's my favorite. It's I a, pet it. I say, hello, ball. I love you so you much. You pet the ball. <laughs> you stroke the chain. I know. I know what you're like. All right. <laughs> so let's get into what's new. We've only got one thing here. Um, I mentioned James King in the past. He made that monster C-clamp that he gave me, and uh, the thing is just a beast. It's awesome. Um, but he is at it again and made a extreme bench vice. So if you guys haven't seen this, you got to check it out. He has a three-part video series on it, and it's all made with exotics and dovetailed, or it's, I don't know if it's dovetails or finger joints. I can't remember. Um, but he makes this massive, giant bench vise. Uh, it's it's like the coolest thing. Um, it's, it's one of those things where people, I, I love watching people do this. They're so dedicated to do something I would just go and spend $50 on. <laughs> this guy was able to to go and make this thing, and it is a work of art. It's absolutely beautiful. So we'll put that link hmm. in the show notes for you if you want to check it out. <clears throat> cool stuff. And uh, let's see. We can move to our kickback here. A couple of voicemail kickbacks to get us started. First one is from Matt Scranton. He's kind of a troublemaker, so you got to watch out for this guy. Hey, guys. Matt Scranton here in Buffalo. Uh, just thought I'd drop you a couple intros that you might want to be able to use for the show. Now oh, boy. that uh, Matt has really <laughs> evolved into his different animal forms. Take a listen and enjoy. Peace out. Okay, so he's got two of them. I, I played these in the office, and Nicole's like, I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm like, this is kind of like, it's an inside joke from Wood Talk that goes back to a live session that I did on the Wood Whisper. So this is fairly deep inside stuff, but I'm going to play him anyway, just in case anyone knows the references. You're listening to Wood Talk. Now here are two guys at a crustacean with crabby personalities, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. Did you get that one? Do you remember we talked about the crab move and you said, I, I pinch. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so that's what that one is. You know, okay. Jokes that have to be explained are always the best jokes, right? <laughs> okay. And his, here's his, involved in them. That's nice. Here's the second one. You're listening to wood talk. Now here are two guys and a duck that make a foul combination. Mark, oh Shannon and Matt. Oh. Take it away. boys. <laughs> right. I mean, it's yeah. uh, so thanks for that, Matt. Those were ter- terribly unfunny, but we appreciate it. <laughs> That's like one my eight-year-old would have come up with. Right? (laughs) Oh, man. Good stuff. Seriously, though, thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. Uh, All right. Let me see. Jeremy. Oh, where is that question? Sorry. I got all mixed up here. So Jeremy has a suggestion for a fourth host. Jeremy here. Been listening to all the podcasts from the beginning of time. Great show. Just listened to the latest one with Vince's kickback. All I have to say is, I think it's time for a fourth wheel. Vince for the fourth wheel on the podcast. Thanks, bye. So you remember Vince, the guy who uh, basically gave us a rebuttal about why using the domino is not sort of a hindrance uh, to him in terms of his his learning and woodworking? It's really hey, well, we brought that up. Yeah, way to bring it around. This is awesome, Matt. Why don't you read this next one? Because I think the rest are actually voicemail voicemails. Oh, so the Thor. We're gonna one. skip. We're gonna skip lumber news. He, well. Doy. We don't have the lumber guy here. You want to hear the song just in case? 
Well, uh, we could if we could make Bob do it. He said we're going to make him work, right? Does Bob have any lumber news for us today? <laughs> no. There are, there's lumber. Yep. There's lumber. It's all there. <laughs> all right. Go for uh, all right. Thor's. This is from Thor, but not complaining. <clears throat> I heard a listener talking about wearing tool bags in the shop, and I wanted to weigh in. I do wear contractor-style tool bags while in the shop. It must be from my high school and college days working construction. Having an area where tools... Uh, well, a second. Where tools, benches, and a tool wall are spread out, I find it much easier to keep spare tools on me. Tape measure, combination square, pencils, side cutters, screwdrivers, etc. I find it annoying when I have to backtrack to find the damn combination square for the 50th time or when I have to do some quick adjustments to my tools. They aren't the best tools. They aren't the, they aren't the best quality tools I have in my bags, just enough to get by in a pinch. This seems to help me in my flow and be more productive. Thanks, guys. Hmm. Very good. Uh, we actually got some voicemail questions here. This one is specifically for Bob from Tim Roach. Hello, Mark, Matt, and Bob. This is Tim from Virginia, and I've got a question for Bob. Hey, Bob, I like the uh, video you did a few years back about automating your dust collection system using an Arduino to open and close the blast gates. When you move to your new shop, do you plan on doing the same thing, maybe upgrading from a two and a half inch uh, diameter hose system to maybe a four inch diameter hose system or larger? I noticed you got a new dust collection in a couple of your later videos now, and I was just curious to see if you were planning to do that. It'd be kind of interesting to see that done on a larger scale. Thanks, guys. Keep up the shenanigans and all the good work. There you go. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually stopped using that system quite a while back when I got the bigger dust collector because it has four-inch uh, tubes. And I didn't when I, when I got that one, I rearranged the shop a little bit, so I really didn't need as many gates as I had before. <clears throat> and so I ended up just kind of taking that whole system down. It worked really well. Mm-hmm. And I can see, now that my shop's going to be quite a bit bigger, I could see why it would be beneficial to put something like that back in. But... Going to four inch adds a whole new set of complexities to that. You know, the blast gates become a lot heavier. There's a lot more friction, which means the servos that run those gates have to be a lot heavier. They draw more current. Mm-hmm. You have to have uh, a larger shop means further distributed power supplies and wiring. And, you know, there's a bunch of stuff to that that gets complicated. So I've got some ideas for the new shop that may make that reasonable, but. I don't have any plans to put that back in place yet. Do you confront, I mean, like I get this way with even just furniture in the house where I I have to design something and I get to a point where it gets so complex and or so expensive that a purchased commercial solution just is like, this makes so much more sense to just go buy this thing instead of me trying to, you know, spend twice as much doing it myself. And I feel like with, with dust collection blast gates, there are companies who do, you know, these sort of, uh, I don't know if they're completely wireless, but the, isn't it IVAC, I believe, I think there's a company mm-hmm. out there that has yeah. these systems that automatically turn on and open up those blast gates. And I would imagine at a certain point you've got diminishing returns of whether it's even worth your time to design this thing on that scale. Yeah. I think in that case, like I would probably end up saying, well, okay, how can I do this entirely differently? Yeah. You know, like what's a, instead of just building a thing that's also for purchase, you know, maybe you make a central uh, split where like you're actually controlling one valve that, channels where the suction's going to a tool rather than putting blast gates at every tool. Something I don't know. Oh, I'm thinking off the top of my head. Sure. But, you know, oh. so in that case, I would try to find, like, a different way to do it entirely rather than just caving to my my wallet and <laughs> yeah, going exactly. to buy the thing that makes the most sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You're a better man than I am. 
I would just go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might, I might buy it too. <laughs> it just depends, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, so next one is from Daniel. Question about sanding and refinishing. Hello, Matt, Shannon, and Mark. This is Dan from Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, I had a question regarding uh, sanding grits and refinishing. Uh, I recently purchased a, a used TV stand, solid pine TV stand from the thrift store, and I want to refinish it. Uh, the finish that's currently on there looks like it, it may just be a couple coats of polyurethane. It's not something that is is, is super built up. Uh, but my question is, should I do I need to get as aggressive as like an 80 grit uh, sandpaper? Or can I start with something maybe 120 or 150 and then work my way through the grits? Uh, I'm going to be putting on just a coat of uh, polyurethane, a couple coats of poly. Uh, to refinish it, but I just didn't know where I should start with the sandpaper. So any help would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Always enjoy the show. Have a great day. What do you think, Matt? Throw it to you first. I think as long as you can get down past any defects or anything you want to clean up, I mean, I think not seeing it in front of me, it's kind of hard to say, but if you start at, let's say you start at 120, it's not going fast enough and you need to get down further, strapped up down to 80 and kind of level the surface, get it nice and flat and cleaned up. And then you can kind of sand up from there. Yeah. I would actually start with a card scraper if you could, uh, if this is all oh, Mr. Mr. Card scraper, <laughs> you Mr. Hands will guy time. over here, you nah, know, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, uh, if the finish is really old, a lot of times that stuff is brittle and very easy to just kind of like whoosh, get it out of the way in one or two sweeps with a card scraper. And then you don't have to worry about anything, but your basically your final finished sanding grits up to 150, 180, 220. Um, so I would start there and yeah, I don't know. It's just a lot, lot better than going through a bunch of sandpaper. I'll just go get a wide belt sander, send the whole thing through once. That's true. You're done with it. Why stop there? Just keep uh, we're talking about keep extravagant ways of accomplishing things. <laughs> just go buy a CNC <laughs> machine and, you know, clean off just the top oh, layer. There you go. Slowly oh. but surely. I think I we're on to something. I can't top that right now. All <laughs> yeah. right. You win. <laughs> Uh, okay, so if you want to send us a voicemail, you can do that. Just use your voice memo app and send the file over to woodtalkonline at gmail.com and we'll play it on the show. Doesn't matter what it is, we'll play anything. We're desperate. Okay. <laughs> so it's dangerous. <laughs> Just, again, it being is, honest. It really is. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's our emails. Now, instead of each of us picking an email because we did have Bob on the show, I wanted to select specific emails that I thought we could all kind of uh, talk a little bit about and it'd be a little bit more into uh, Bob's wheelhouse. So first question here is from Ashley, and Ashley writes, okay, one other question. I got, okay, I missed another email from Ashley, but uh, it's <laughs> is SketchUp for sissies. Love that. Um, that's the impression I got recently when taking a class on CNC for fine furniture making instructor said, don't waste your time learning SketchUp as it's too hard to make usable 3d models for CNC, or I'd imagine 3d prints. What's your experience been? I'm tackling the Rhino CAD learning curve. Now, what would you recommend to listeners? Now this I find very interesting because you have two people who probably use SketchUp fairly frequently. It works for our purposes, but we are also not trying to send that information to CNC or any type of 3D modeling uh, where you have have Bob on the other end who probably has a little bit of a better perspective on this. So I'm going to first say, obviously SketchUp is for sissies because that's what Matt and I use. (laughs) Aside from that, (laughs) Bob, I'm curious, do you have any perspective on this? I mean, do you use SketchUp much in your work? 
Actually, I have nothing to add to it. I just want to leave it at you guys. Are sissies. Sissies. Okay, good. The next one. That's good. <laughs> no, um, yeah, actually, I, I was using SketchUp today. I still use SketchUp for any woodworking stuff. Um, and mainly that's because my plan workflow for mm-hmm. creating plans is built out of SketchUp. So I can take that model very easily, get it to my designer who's going to render it and blender and doing all the stuff he does to make the plans. Um, <clears throat> now, we could easily replace that with something more robust, but there's really no reason to. Mm-hmm. Like using the power of Fusion 360 to make a 2x4 as a 3D model, it's like it's a waste of time, right? <laughs> yeah. So so I use SketchUp for a lot of the stuff. And granted, the, the things that I'm designing in SketchUp are way simpler than what you guys are designing. So it's kind of a flipped question there in that you have a better response for creating fine furniture with SketchUp. Mm-hmm. Mine is like mostly... Uh, dimensional stuff or or just a step past that maybe sure but as far as using it for 3d printing and cnc it's totally capable every cad program has essentially the same amount of detail and the same precision to it it's kind of just how far you want to zoom in so i think some of the tools are more natural in more modern software like fusion or maybe i've never used rhino so i don't really know but um i think some of the tools to get the things that you want are easier and faster in those newer applications, but they all essentially do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I would expect that anybody that said <laughs> SketchUp is for sissies in regard to <laughs> CNC just means that they're more comfortable in something else. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I don't think there's any reason why you wouldn't use or why you shouldn't use one over the other. Yeah, and I would imagine if, if your primary you know way of doing the work that you're going to do is CNC or you need that 3D model that other pieces of software probably lend themselves a little bit better. But, you know, when you, when you look at what Matt and I do, I don't think there's any reason for us to ever go to software of that. That's sort of that deeper industry software. SketchUp is what a lot of woodworkers are using. It's, it's like almost universally accepted as a format that we can exchange information as craftspeople. Um, so it makes perfect sense for us to use it, but I could see if you, if you're primarily on CNC, how it could lead to frustration if it's not that easy to convert the information. Now, there's there's one other thing there that actually might make sense in that context, why it would be a good argument for Fusion, for instance. Fusion is parametric, so you can set up, like, you can have a long side of a piece that is relative-sized to another face somewhere. So if you designed a table that you wanted to be a four-person or six-person or eight-person table, you could rescale a dimension of that, and the whole thing would, would adjust accordingly, rather than in SketchUp, you you know, kind of have to start from scratch and just remodel your whole thing. Mm-hmm. So depending on the output that you want, which I guess is the key to all of this, depending on the output that you want, it may make sense to use something like that that's parametric and gives you some variable input that you can kind of adjust as you need to. Hmm. But Nice. Crap. Well, you tell me that. Now i got to switch. <laughs> that happens all, all the time. It's really handy. I mean, that that particular set of instructions that you can control it's complex you know it takes a while to get used to because sketchup has nothing like that at all that mm-hmm. i'm aware of um but once you get used to it it's really really powerful so very cool all right so next one matt you want to grab that one uh saint nixter uh listening listen to both making it i don't know what that is and wood talk just kidding uh <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i said that you're so that mean. was inappropriate what a jerk <laughs> disrespectful to our guest. Uh, I would like to facilitate a dialogue about moving since we all like unsolicited advice. 
<laughs> yes, that we do. A, it's a grinning winky face. Bob, any questions or things you would like to publicly bounce off Mark? Mark, mm. any advice or small things forgotten about to publicly pass along to Bob? Selling off tools in current location versus moving them to a new location. At the very least, maybe a floor mat versus carpet square in the shop discussion to include David Petruto. <laughs> let's, get, let's get David on the phone here. Let's really hash this out. This is important stuff. <laughs> um, I guess I do have a question about that. So you had, if I remember correctly, you had people come move all of your tools, right? Yeah. I remember seeing them packing them in a truck. Mm-hmm. Now, did you do that from a, was that based on like cost, uh, longevity of your back, you know, what was the the motivation there from doing it yourself? Well, having moved several times in the past, you get to a point where I, I, I kind of see it like the, the way people are when you buy a home. You get your first home, you're going to get that fixer-upper, right? And you're going to dive into it. You're going to love every minute of changing out baseboards, putting in new flooring, all that stuff. Your second house, you're kind of like, nah, I'm over it. You know, I'm ready to get right. something that's like ready to go. And it's kind of the same thing. Like, uh I've done it enough times and I've had to deal with moving and the tools don't get any smaller over time that I've gotten to the point where I'm like, some of these I would actually either risk hurting myself or breaking the tool. I I don't actually have the ability to move that in a safe way. So it's so much easier, you know, as a a business expense um, to just simply get these people out here, get it moved. And then I don't have to think about it. Um, So it was a no brainer for me at this point. Plus, you know, you're moving cross country to, uh, you know, you got to move a a family and you're no stranger to this. You're doing it right now. Um, You got kids, you got a lot of other things just to get your home moved and to get the family settled. I didn't want the shop to be something that distracted me from making sure my family was situated. Mm -hmm. So the shop stuff was actually staggered. The house was packed up in pods. We did all of that ourselves. And the guys came to pick up the tools about a week after that. And then the, I think it was about a three week delay from when we moved in that the tools actually arrived in the new space. So I had a good amount of distance between you know, shop work related stuff and home related stuff. Um, but, but again, the primary thing is just like, I'm over it at this point. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't want to have to do all that myself. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I kind of went back and forth on that because I'm about to do that in about two weeks, pack up the shop. Okay. <clears throat> and I just wasn't really sure the best way to go about it. But then when I look at my shop, I'm like, I can't, how could I do this to anybody else but myself? <laughs> like I can't ask anybody to move this yeah, you feel guilty. massive stuff. <laughs> And I mean, the good thing is that, you know, my shop is currently pretty small. And so I hit the limit on what I could fit in there. And, you know, it's not it's not a massive amount of stuff, mm-hmm. large stuff. It's a massive amount of small stuff. Right. So what's the but I'm you, also what's I'm the, also the same in that I'm going into my third home now, okay. buying our third home, and I'm still going to be doing a bunch of work on it myself. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can you can work that out there yeah, for yourself. Sure. What, what's yeah. your heaviest tool that you have in the shop? Um, probably the saw stop. Okay. So you got a full size table saw to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, when I look at all the tools that I had to move, that was one of the more complex ones to figure out if I were to try to move this myself, what is the strategy for that? It's actually pretty difficult. It's, but it's, but it's a lot of fun watching four guys do it because it's no problem for them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this was you know, way easier than I thought. Yeah. yeah. But as far as, you know, uh, advice for anyone else, I mean, I've, I've documented my move so much in the past and I can't say that the way I do it is the way anyone else should do it. Um, but I, a lot of this information is out there, but, um, 
I don't want to get too much into the moving thing because that can almost be a whole show in and of itself on like strategies for moving. But I listened to to making it um, like what two weeks ago. I guess you guys had, had alluded to the the moves that all three of you are going through right now. It sounds like all yeah. three of you are actually doing a DIY methodology for the move. Sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think David's quite figured his out, but it's his is in town, so oh, okay. it's easier either That's way. Bad. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, all right. So Bob, you want to grab that next question? Sure. This is from Nick Carruthers. For Bob, do you envision any products, projects where you combine 3D printing and fine woodworking? Maybe a Queen Anne table with lightsabers for legs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> making it, making a note, or perhaps 3D print an entire bandsaw mill. Um, I want to see that one. Yeah. Battle like that. <laughs> so I've been trying lately to come up with ways to incorporate woodworking in general, not necessarily fine woodworking, and 3D printing. And I've, I think I've got a few good ideas. I don't know how it would work into fine woodworking. Um, but most of the ideas that I've come up with lately are about making fixtures, using 3D printing to make really specific fixtures or accessories. Mm-hmm. Like one of the ones I have coming up in a couple of weeks is not my idea, but I'm using 3D printing to take the same idea and make it accessible. Um, I believe it's Lee Valley has these little uh, handheld sanding dealies. I don't mm-hmm. know what they're called, but they're really small uh, shaped sanding pieces that you wrap sandpaper around and then you grip the thing and the sandpaper and it lets you get into small coves and yeah. small, you know, angles, whatever. And, um, so I decided, well, you, that would be super easy to do with 3d printing. And then you have an endless supply of shapes and sizes and mm-hmm. angles and everything that you wanted to make. And so that's something that I think a fine woodworker could easily take advantage of. So may- maybe, maybe not enough, maybe not enough reason to buy a 3d printer, but you know, but if you already have one, you know, making right. accessories and things for the shop. That could be amazing. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of fixtures, a lot of like, um, you know, we all have like different hose sizes and stuff that you need to connect together. So I've done a couple of making adapters, custom adapters to, you know, go at certain angles, get two different sizes together rather than having to wait the two days on Amazon. You can wait right. two days while your printer spits. it. So. <laughs> sure. That's pretty yeah. awesome. I've, uh, we did the arcade cabinet when we first moved here. My buddy, Brian has a 3d printer, and he was trying to make some knobs with the um, the dragon. Looks like the dragon from Double Dragon, I believe, and, and one oh, yeah. of the symbols for the old Nintendo game. Uh, and he wanted his handle for the back of the the cabinet door to be one of those little things. So he's like three D printing a bunch of these, and I got some of the extras here that are just awesome. And I'm like, man, it's just so cool that you could go home, you know, type a few things in, put the material in, and out, you know, pops this awesome looking custom handle. Yeah, pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next one here is from Chris Salamone. You know him. He's the four eye guy. And uh, <laughs> he says on a three person podium, bronze, silver, gold of Bob's who are synonymous with making things. Where does Bob <laughs> rank himself as compared to Bob the Builder and Bob Vila? <laughs> Those are my only options. <laughs> Bob's who Bob's who make things. Uh, oh. He says, I don't give any softball questions. <laughs> sure doesn't. Man. Ooh, I tough. think I'm going to have to go above Bob the Builder because I have more dexterity and I last longer in the sun because that dude's made of clay. Any um, <laughs> clay? Maybe he's not. I don't know. But yeah. You CGI I don't know. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I'm probably a bronze of that stack. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> uh, that's an awesome question, Chris. Thank you. Uh, Matt, why don't you grab the last one? You don't want to kick that one around some more? That was pretty funny. Um, how do you, well, <laughs> how, do you that how do you compare yourself to the Bobs? I don't. <laughs> wasn't it that's that, not fair at all what was that that uh that video on youtube years ago of the guy who measures things in bobs yep. 
You know what I'm oh, talking about? Yes, I do. And <laughs> <laughs> he compared That's to that. Been shown bomb? to me a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does Bob measure in bombs? I don't think we oh. want to know. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to put that in the show notes or? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that will be in the show notes. <laughs> All right, this next one's from Paige. <laughs> Here's a question for the group Bob, Bob is something of a mixed media guru. Mark and Matt, are there any projects you've envisioned but held off be held off on because you lacked a certain skill slash capability or didn't fit into didn't didn't fit your audience? For Bob, it's often like you take on projects that are beyond your skill level or brand new to you. Are there any fine woodworking projects you've considered but avoided due to difficulty? Hmm. That is interesting. Uh I would say that, at least for me, if it's outside of my skill set, I probably won't even think of it. You know, so it's very rare that I go, oh, man, I would love to make that, but damn it, I just don't have the skill. You know what I mean? Like, and if I w- hmm. wanted to do something that was a little bit outside the range of what I'm comfortable with, I would probably go learn that thing. I mean, it's kind of easier than it's ever been to, to learn some skills or, or get some hints on how to do something new. But um, eh, I would say the more I think about it, welding is probably something that I would like to learn but I would like to have that be something in my toolbox that I could rely on if and when I need to, so that I can start to come up with ideas that would, you know, utilize this other medium. Um, but again, things that aren't in my toolbox, it just doesn't come into my mind to make stuff outside of that. What do you, well, I mean, and the thing is, Matt, you actually, I would say you have a wider skill set than I do in terms of media. I mean, look at your friggin', uh, you know, bandsaw mill. Jeez. Yeah, but that, again, that kind of goes back to the same, like, I didn't have that skill before, but screw it, I'm going to do it kind of mentality. <laughs> yeah, you got it now. <laughs> so, you know, it's, but I think you make a very good point, though. It's like, if you don't have that skill already, you don't even think about it, mm-hmm. or you don't mm-hmm. even think to, like, incorporate it. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, like, when I'm designing a piece of furniture, I rarely, like, I don't know if. If I had like a machine shop, maybe I would machine some cool metal parts to go f- with the piece of furniture. Yeah. But that's not something I do. It's not something that's in my wheelhouse. I don't have the I don't have the machines here to even practice with that. So I don't even consider like um I can't have any good examples, but maybe some custom knobs or some custom hardware if you're trying to make like a really cool homemade hinge kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That you can make your own out of brass or stainless or something like that. I don't know what. See, because I don't know. I don't know. It's not. Do it's it. not part of your creative vocabulary. You know, you. you How about know. tough tenon? Like, if you want to do the like the, the wedge, yeah. you could do that out of, out of bronze. That'd be awesome. I don't know. But you don't have the skill. <laughs> no, let me think <laughs> well, about it. Here's one that came up recently that I thought about, and again, not really a project for the site, but it's something that like I know this is possible. I just don't even know where to begin to make it happen. So I'm gonna. So Bob, this is a challenge for you. Help me figure this out. Okay. I've got a dust sentry on my dust collector. So in the bin, it's got this little sensor that tells me when the dust level is high enough and it has a light hooked up to it. This is a Oneida's dust sentry and the light goes off. So there's no audible alarm. It's simply an on off thing. When it senses it, light goes on and it kind of just flickers. What I want is I want some sort of a, a, a Z wave kind of a con, not really a contact sensor, but the same thing a contact sensor would do to simply tell me on and off in the same sense, it would have to integrate with this thing to let me know whenever that light would go on, I want this Z wave thing to go on so that I can trigger a text message using my smart home device. Make that happen for me. <laughs> I, we could make I, that happen. That actually wouldn't be hard to do. It didn't yeah. seem like it would be that difficult. Cause it is kind of like an on off thing. If you could find something that had that 
kind of a sensor to detect the on and off, connect via Z-Wave, we'd have something pretty awesome. Yeah, I think there's actually some people who've talked to me about doing the dust collection thing that where where you put a an inline sensor in the electrical circuit so that when voltage is kicked through something mm-hmm. that sets off in a, you know, a trigger and then you can have the smart home react to that trigger. So you could do basically the same thing, put a voltage detector in line after that sensor before the light and whenever that's triggered then your system just reacts to it. Yes. Let's do so, it. You're okay. not doing, you're not we doing can, anything we this week, right? Let's, uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> I got like a whole summer of nothing planned. <laughs> nothing so let's, going let's on. Get on that. <laughs> oh, awesome. Uh, and I think that was actually our last question. So for the $4 patrons and higher, we are going to do an email extra. We're going to talk about workbench paralysis by analysis. And uh, we also, of course, have a weekend show coming up that you guys can look forward to. So we're going to try to bribe Bob to do the weekend show with us. He won't be on the email extra, though. Uh, now, if you want to support the show, you can just go to patreon.com slash woodtalk could help us out by setting up what is essentially like a recurring donation and helps support us and keeps the show going and you can also get yourself a wood talk t-shirt at twwstore.com you could look us up in the itunes store and give us a rating there if you'd like to and uh why don't that you're not shannon matt how about you give him the contact info we're gonna get out of here why don't we just call shannon and have him read it from wherever he is yeah we can have him call in there you go all right Questions. (laughs) Questions. <laughs> nope, already screwed up. Comments, questions, or topic <laughs> suggestions. You have several different ways to contact us. Send us a voicemail using your voice memo app at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. You can use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact or leave us a comment on our website at woodtalkshow.com. You can catch us on Twitter at woodtalkshow as well as on Facebook. And don't forget, this show is made possible through generous support of our listeners. You could be cool, too, and support the show through Patreon at patreon.com slash woodtalk. And don't forget to check us out individually at alikethemakestuff.com, thewoodwhisper.com, and slabbergasted.com. hey Well, thank you, Bob, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And before we let you go, why don't you just kind of give us a quick rundown of where people can find anything related to your content and the stuff you produce. Everything is at ilikethemakestuff.com. Excellent. That's that's pretty much it except on twitter on twitter it's i like to make stuff with one f because they have a character limit right so that's weird that's annoying (laughs) right that's super annoying (laughs) um making it is that it you guys have a making it.com yeah making it podcast.com making it podcast okay and if you guys haven't listened to that it's absolutely fantastic with three uh serious heavy hitters in our industry that you definitely want to listen to thank you Uh, all right well thanks for listening everyone and we will catch you next time you guys goodbye to you Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.